Hello, everyone, and welcome to the July 16 edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the WorkComp Academy. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Maine Supreme Court ruled that there will be no medical marijuana for the state's injured workers. The case involved Gaetan Burgoyne, who worked as a paper machine laborer for a paper mill in Maine when he sustained a work-related back injury. He consulted with a number of pain management specialists and attempted a variety of treatments, including opioid medication for his pain. Due to the adverse side effects of opioids and on the recommendation of his physician, Burgoyne stopped using narcotic medications. He was then issued a certification to use medical marijuana and successfully petitioned the Workers' Compensation Board for an order requiring his former employer to pay for the marijuana. The appellate division affirmed the decision, so his employer, Twin Rivers Paper Company, and Sedgwick Claims Management Services appealed to the Maine Supreme Court. This case called upon the Supreme Court for the first time to consider the relationship between the Federal Controlled Substances Act and the Maine Medical Use of Marijuana Act. Twin Rivers, the employer, argued that the Federal Controlled Substances Act preempts the state law that would compel Twin Rivers to reimburse Burgoyne for the use of medical marijuana. The preemption analysis is based on the Supremacy Clause of the United States Constitution, which provides that if there is any conflict between federal and state law, federal law shall prevail. Federal law can preempt state law in three ways. First, by express preemption, where Congress expressly states that federal law preempts the state law. Secondly, by field preemption, where Congress explicitly or implicitly leaves no room for state law, or where federal law is so dominant that it will be assumed to preclude enforcement of state law. And third, by conflict preemption, where the state law actually conflicts with federal law. The dispositive question presented in this case is whether Twin Rivers is necessarily in violation of the federal law if it were to comply with the board's order to pay for the medical marijuana. The Supreme Court of Maine concluded that in the narrow circumstances of this case, where an employer is subject to an order that would require it to subsidize an employee's acquisition of medical marijuana, there is a conflict between federal and state law. And as a result, the Controlled Substances Act preempts the Maine Medical Use of Marijuana Act as applied here. Thus, the Maine Supreme Court vacated the decision of the appellate division. And our crime report. A former professional NBA basketball player was sentenced on charges related to an extensive charity fraud scheme that also involved California workers' compensation. 66-year-old Kermit Allen Washington, who now lives in Las Vegas, Nevada, was sentenced to six years in federal prison without parole. The court also ordered Washington to pay nearly a million dollars in restitution. Washington was taken into federal custody at the conclusion of his sentencing hearing. 
Washington may best be known for knocking out Houston's Rudy Tomajanovich with a devastating punch in a 1977 game. At the time, he was with the Los Angeles Lakers when he hit Tom Janovich in what was since then been remembered as the punch. Washington admitted in federal court that he referred professional athletes to San Diego workers' compensation attorney Ronald Jack Mix so that Mr. Mix could file workers' compensation claims in the state of California on behalf of the athletes. Mix then agreed to make donations to Washington's charity, which in effect was a fraudulent scheme to funnel the money for Washington's personal use instead of charitable purposes. Washington accept about, uh, accepted about $155,000 in donations to his charity, which were actually illegal referral payments from Mix and his law firm. Washington admitted that he failed to account for this income to the charity on Project Contact Africa's IRS filings during those years. Attorney Mix was a former San Diego Charger and a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He pleaded guilty back in 2016 to a tax fraud charge stemming from his post-football career as a workers' compensation lawyer. Mix had been a successful lawyer since his retirement from the game. Many of his clients are former professional athletes who made claims for injuries suffering during their playing days, usually years after their careers ended. State bar records reflect that Mix is no longer eligible to practice law in California. Mix's lawyer argued that he thought Washington's charity was legitimate. And a Southern California man was sentenced to serve 26 years for his manufacturing and sale of counterfeit opioids. He was the leader of a narcotics distribution ring that imported a powerful fentanyl analog from China and produced hundreds of thousands of counterfeit opioid pills that were distributed across the nation. He was sentenced to 26 years in federal prison. 33 33-year-old Gary Resnick of Long Beach led a conspiracy that imported acetyl fentanyl, a powerful and highly addictive opioid, which is many times more potent than heroin. The drug is not approved for any legal use in the United States. Resnick pled guilty to two felony offenses, conspiracy to manufacture and distribute narcotics, and possession with the intent to distribute acetafentanil. He was the leader of a conspiracy to manufacture and distribute hundreds of thousands of these pills designed to look like legitimate pharmaceuticals such as Vicodin and OxyContin. But his pills actually contained highly potent illegal drugs imported from China, including acetafentanil, ecstasy, alprazolam, and a designer drug known on the street as PVP. These pills were manufactured in homemade labs in Long Beach storage unit and a Baldwin Park home. Drug enforcement agents seized over 11 kilograms of acetafentanil from the Long Beach lab, in addition to other large quantities of the other illegal drugs from both labs. 
Over the course of nine months, Resnick's organization sold about 40 to 45,000 pills each month for between four to eight dollars per pill. A co-defendant in this case, Christopher Bowen of downtown Los Angeles, was sentenced in May of this year to 320 months in federal prison for participating in the drug trafficking conspiracy. And 31-year-old Zachary Dale Jackson, a former Santa Maria insurance agent, was sentenced to three years of formal probation in order to pay restitution after pleading guilty to insurance fraud for embezzling from his employer. An insurance company alerted the California Department of Insurance investigators who determined that Jackson falsified insurance documents related to his own personal insurance claim. He also embezzled funds from the insurance company by writing multiple checks to himself from the company's account. The department's investigation led to Jackson's arrest in November 2017, and he initially faced five felony charges. The state revoked Jackson's agent's license and barred him from transacting the business of insurance. And in regulatory news, the Division of Workers' Compensation has announced the formation of a new Pharmacy and Therapeutics Committee. The PNT Committee is established pursuant to a 2015 Assembly Bill as an advisory body that will consult with the DWC Administrative Director on updates to the Medical Treatment Utilization Schedule formulary. The committee's first meeting will be held on Wednesday, September 26, in the Elihu M. Harris State Building in Oakland. The PNT committee will be charged by DWC Executive Medical Director Raymond Meister. The six appointees are California licensed medical doctors and pharmacists. Each member of the PNT committee will serve a term of two years and remain in the position until the selection of a successor. The agenda and further information regarding the PNT committee meeting will be posted on the DWC MTUS drug formulary webpage at least 10 days prior to the meeting and will also be distributed to the DWC Newsline mailing list. The public may submit questions or comments about the formulary to the DWC MTUS drug formulary email inbox. Cal OSHA has issued citations to Marine Cargo Handler SSA Pacific Incorporated for willful and serious safety violations following the investigation of a fatal forklift accident at the Port of San Diego. Last January, 54-year-old Philip Vargas, a longshoreman, was driving a forklift into a transit shed when he collided with a concrete support column and suffered fatal injuries after being thrown from the forklift. The accident took place at the 10th Avenue Marine Terminal at the Port of San Diego. His family reported that he was a third-generation longshoreman who worked on the waterfront since age 16. Kalosha's investigation found that the employee was not wearing a seatbelt and that the forklift had multiple safety devices disabled, including a seatbelt warning buzzer and a mast interlock system 
designed to disconnect power from the hydraulic lift when the operator was unseated. Kalosha issued six citations totaling more than $200,000 in proposed penalties to SSA Pacific. The citations issued included four serious violations for the employer's failure to ensure that forklift operators use seat belts properly, maintain and inspect forklifts, ensure operators were effectively trained, and for improperly altering forklift safety features. A general violation was cited for the employer's failure to establish and maintain an effective heat illness prevention plan. SSA Pacific was also issued a citation for a willful, serious violation as the employer failed to ensure workers perform a forklift safety check at the beginning of each shift and report unsafe conditions. The company was cited for the same conduct in 2016 following an accident inspection at the port of Long Beach. The incident in 2016 occurred when two workers improperly attempted to lift a 15-ton forklift from the hatch of a ship with a crane. One worker was hospitalized overnight for injuries to his ribs and lungs when he was pinned by the mast of the running forklift. Forklift safety requirements are summarized on page 65 of the Cal OSHA Pocket Guide for the construction industry. And in medical news, a high contrast black and white image of your bones is an effective tool for spotting fracture, fractures or breaks. But after 120 plus years, x-ray imaging is getting a remarkable update with 3D full color images that reveal far more than just the bones inside you. These 3D color images will improve what a doctor can diagnose without intrusive measures. The traditional approach to imaging the insides of a patient involves blasting them with x-rays. This electromagnetic radiation has a shorter wavelength than visible light, so it can easily pass through soft tissue, but it has more trouble passing through harder material like bones. On the other side of your body, a sensor or film produces an image based on the intensity of the x-rays that make it through, thus revealing what's inside you. But now, a New Zealand company called Mars Bioimaging has developed a new type of medical imaging scanner that works in a similar fashion, but borrows technology developed for the Large Hadron Collider at CERN to produce far more detailed results. The MediPix 3 chip works similar to the sensor in your digital camera, but it detects and counts the particles hitting each pixel when a shutter opens. When used in the new scanner developed in New Zealand, the MediPix 3 chip enhanced with custom data processing algorithms, can detect the change in wavelengths as x-rays pass through different materials in the body. This allows the scanner to differentiate bone, muscle, fat, liquids, and all the other material in the human body, while additional software uses that data to produce stunning full-color images that allow a three-dimensional view of the inside of the body. 
While the flat black and white x-rays doctors currently use are typically enough for them to notice if the bone in your arm has a fracture, they reveal very little about the tissue and muscle surrounding that bone. Doctors could use these new 3D x-rays to help diagnose issues in the bone and everything around it as well. So while a doctor is examining images of your arm looking for signs of a break or fracture after a nasty fall, he or she could also look for other potentially dangerous medical conditions that might not be apparent in typical x-ray results. In fact, smaller test versions of the scanner are already being used to study cancer, as well as bone and joint health in patients. But the technology will be useful in countless other medical fields as well, from dentistry to brain surgery. It will be years before the new spectral CT scanner receives all the clearances and approvals it needs so that it can be used in hospitals and clinics. But it is well past the research stages at this point, and clinical trials are expected to get underway in New Zealand in the coming months. That This new imaging tool is able to get image that no other image tool can achieve. And President Trump took aim at Pfizer Incorporated and other U.S. drug makers after they raised prices on some of their medicines on July 1 claiming his administration would act in response. Pfizer raised list prices on around 40 medicines earlier this month, including Viagra, cholesterol drug Lipitor, and arthritis treatment uh, Exjohns. A Pfizer spokesman said its portfolio includes more than 400 medicines and vaccines, and it is modifying prices for about 10% of these, including some instances where they are decreasing the price. And Pfizer was not the only major drug company to raise prices after Trump suggested they would voluntarily slash prices. Israeli generic drug maker Teva Pharmaceutical Industries hiked prices on 14 drugs in June, and Roach Holdings' Genetech division raised prices on a number of its drugs on July 1. So President Trump wrote in a post on Twitter that Pfizer and others should be ashamed that they have raised drug prices for no reason and that he warned he will respond. Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar followed up with his own tweet saying that drug makers who have raised prices have created a tipping point in U.S. drug pricing policy. He also said that change is coming to drug pricing, whether painful or not, for pharmaceutical companies. Neither Trump nor Azar detailed what policy changes would be implemented to decrease prices. Trump had said in May that some drug companies would soon announce voluntary massive cuts in prices, but none have materialized so far. An Israeli pharmaceutical company, Pain Reform, has received approval for the FDA to begin late-stage clinical studies for a pain relief drug that is a departure from opioid-based narcotics. Many patients today dealing with pain after surgery are prescribed opioids, which can be highly addictive and are at the heart of a costly health crisis in the United States. 
Pain reform said the FDA had given it a green light to carry out two phase three trials on its product, PRF110, which prolongs the action of a local analgesic or painkiller called ropavacaine. The studies will focus on postoperative pain relief in soft and hard tissue. The drug is administered during surgery before the wound is sutured. An earlier study showed PRF110 was able to relieve pain for up to 72 hours, which is 10 times longer than the current standard of care. This is a crucial period when pain is maximal and opioids are often given. Thus, this kind of drug can help delay or prevent the prescription of opioids. Pain reform estimates the market potential for such treatment at $5 billion. Should pain reform's treatment pass its trials, estimated to be within a year after they start, it would compete with other non-opioid drugs like Heron Therapeutics HTX-011, which just finished its Phase three studies. Thus, this new market will not de- depend on a single drug. The company has raised $12 million and is looking for an additional $15 million before beginning the Phase three trials. It would consider an initial public offering in New York after the trials are finished or even at the time of interim results, which could be after about six months. And in other news, last month, the WCIRB began looking into using blockchain technology as a better, safer way to get the workers' comp carriers and agents and brokers access to the massive amount of data it collects. And this may just be the start of blockchain implementation in insurance claims processing. Insurance experts expect blockchain will touch a number of areas, underwriting, customer onboarding, travel and life insurance, personal accident insurance, surety insurance, peer-to-peer insurance, and claims processing. In healthcare, for example, a doctor could submit a claim to the insurer's blockchain. This action starts a smart contract, which is programmed inside business rules, revises the claim, and defines a total sum to be paid. According to the Institute of Medicine, about 30 cents of every healthcare dollar is wasted on needless administrative fees, medical fraud, excessive paperwork, and other waste. Now, blockchain may not be the elixir for age-old problems, but it has great potential to save billions by optimizing current workflow and business processes. And now details are emerging from technology startups and carriers who are developing insurance claim blockchain applications. And a handful of headlines from the past three months have made it clear that insurers are moving forward with these novel technologies in mind. Now a partnership of five healthcare organizations, including insurers United Healthcare and Humana, Optum, Quest Diagnostics and Multiplan announced plans to launch a blockchain pilot to help payers tackle mandated provider directories. The program will apply blockchain technology to improve the quality of data and reduce the administrative costs associated with insurers getting up-to-date healthcare provider demographic data. 
The pilot will start in late spring through the summer with results expected this fall. An engineer at Optum thinks the alliance is one of the first, if not the first, national blockchain alliance for healthcare. Managed care organizations, health systems, physicians, diagnostic information service providers, and other healthcare stakeholders typically maintain separate copies of healthcare provider data. This can result in time-intensive and expensive reconciliation processes when differences arise. An estimated $2.1 billion is spent annually across the healthcare system chasing and maintaining provider data. The pilot will use blockchain technology for the five members of the alliance to share the curated information. So when one payer does the curation work, it could be potentially shared with the other payers. Optum also seems to have been keeping an eye on other up-and-coming technologies, namely artificial intelligence and neural networks. And with that story, that is all of our news and our events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, for past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish a daily flash briefing on the Amazon Alexa Echo platform. Search for Workers' Compensation News on Amazon. Again, I'm Renee Fols, an attorney with the WorkComp Academy. Thanks again for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.